0: Welcome to the Indistinct Chatter podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kevin Ruth, and today we have two fabulous guests, Liz Free and Nancy Squicerini, who I will ask to introduce themselves, and we'll get on today's topic: women in education. Nancy, would you like to go first?
1: Lovely. Hello, everyone. Um, my, as Kevin just said, my name is Nancy Squicciarini, and I am head of community relations at the International School of Luxembourg. Um, I am also really privileged to work with women ed benelux group as a network leader and also i've been chair of the women in education special interest group so it's really just a wonderful opportunity to connect with so many women in different arenas and now off to liz
2: Hi, I'm Liz Free. I'm the CEO and director of the International School Rheintal in Switzerland. Um, I'm also involved with Women Ed. I'm a strategic lead, a global strategic lead. And I do many other things as well I'm on the sidelines. So um, I work with uh, Times Ed. And uh, what else do I do? Oh, The most important thing at the moment, of course, is the special interest group um, that I'm involved with with Nancy. So I think this is a really good opportunity to talk more about the profession and how we realize the potential of women within it.
0: Fabulous. So, Liz, if we could stay with that for a moment, uh, could you help us understand the, the genesis behind the special interest group, women in education and sort of the rationale for being?
2: Yeah, well, it's a bit strange, really, when you think about it. Considering women make up about 78% of the global profession in education, it does beg the question, why would we need a special interest group? Well, sadly, in international education, we know um, all too well that there is still a massive uh, gender gap. And we also know um, that, and we'll come more onto that data later, maybe, uh, But we also know that in international education, we're really uh, struggling to recruit the numbers of teachers that are required uh, to service the demand globally. And so the purpose of women in education focusing on that area is that we need to harness the potential of the profession and make sure that we really realize the potential of women specifically, who we know drop out in higher numbers than men proportionally. And there's an awful lot we can do. So Women in Education, uh, ECIS Special Interest Group, is about trying to find ways to Uh, work together to learn from each other, and make sure that we're optimising the potential. And that, of course, is an issue for both men and women. It's not exclusive to women.
0: Fabulous. Thank you very much for the the background information on the why uh, behind Women in Education Special Interest Group. Uh, Would either one of you like to to share uh, what goals the group may have for the the year in front of us and, and how you envision meeting those goals?
1: Uh, I think I could give a little background there. When we had our first meeting as a special interest group um, back in, oh, I think it was January or so last year, and we had the opportunity to present at the leadership, ECS leadership conference virtual. And that was a great opportunity to launch this new SIG. And during that uh conference we had I think Liz you might know I think over 60 to 70 attendees attend our session and during that session we did a protocol which is like generate sort and synthesize and the question was what can this SIG do for you or your school so getting that feedback that set almost a springboard to how do we set our goals so using all that feedback, and it was amazing to get and it was nothing that we felt um, we weren't aware of, but it was so it resonated so loudly when hearing you know these 80 responses and one of the major goals that we decided on after getting this feedback was number one, networking. you know I think Liz said it so well, harnessing that collective wisdom of what we have in the women education, and that was one of our first goals in terms of the SIG, and one way we want to reach it is actually we started a networking series, and actually I'm going to give a little plug for Liz. Liz is starting our networking series on the 28th of September doing, um, actually the title of her group or her session is Harnessing the Potential of Women in International Education. So that was our first um, goal, networking, and then it led to the second Really category of feedback was they wanted professional development and not just for professional development, they wanted to learn from each other so that went to mentoring. How do we inspire one another? How do we get get advice on moving forward in our journey within our careers? So really professional development and then the third goal is again going back to mentoring and harnessing, but also looking how each one of us are powerful allies for each other. And that we want to become champions for each other and also how do we become champions within our schools and even another professional aspects that uh, we work at. So that feedback from the conference really provided the framework for our, our goals for this year. And we're off to a great start with Liz on the twenty eighth of September. So that's my second plug for Liz. So Your sign skills, up. Smooth,
2: Nancy. Smooth. That was, well that done. Was, that
1: was a nice segue. You see that segue? <laughs> it was smooth. I know
2: it, I did that. It, yes. <laughs> very so, Liz, would you be
0: would you be willing to give us a little a little taster about what you're what you're thinking about?
2: Oh that, that's a good question because I'm still writing it. So I'm still I'm still thinking about it. Um, <laughs> like all good things. Um, well, well really the the key thing for me when I look at the international education specifically is to really understand the data. Uh, and there's, there's all kinds of things that you can read about what women need and what they don't need. But I want to start with looking at what we already know um, is happening, what we know works for women. It was interesting Nancy was mentioning that initial session where we sort of um, gathered feedback and it really resonated. It's, it's, the, it's the small things often. And when I work with um, groups of women or I speak to women about, you know, how did you end up doing what you're doing? Invariably what they say to me is somebody identified something in them. So they didn't necessarily always see it themselves, but there was that advocacy that uh, Nancy was just talking about and that we need to be really explicit about that when uh, looking at the potential of women and men as well, but specifically women, where we know they're less likely to apply for certain jobs unless they meet a high percentage of the um, job advert criteria compared to their male colleagues. So I'm going to be looking at, like I said, some of the data, we're going to be exploring um, what we know works and then really thinking about what can we practically do at a granular level as well as institutional levels and global level to really uh, start to have the, the, the small pieces of change that cumulatively will hopefully uh, enable more women to stay in the profession, more women to join international education, and ideally you know leadership is up at my heart really is that we end up with more women leaders in international education
0: a question from this side is how can how can men be helpful in this?
2: Well I think it's a really uh, important point that that this the only real change that can be affected is if everybody engages in the conversation and this needs to start right at board levels around what an idea of a school leader is and really starting to unpick that and a lot of the membership organizations are really beginning to tune into um, diversity and inclusion and thinking about how that is represented at board level. Um, So that influences the appointments that we make. And therefore, we know about boards in uh, schools, they are predominantly male, they're predominantly white. And so we've got to really start there, I think. Um, I think that that's the one of the things that we can do in terms of our influence in the organizations, whether that's ECIS, CIS, um, I'm on the board with SGIS, we've got lots of S's, haven't we, going on here. Uh, We like that in education. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but really start to influence there so we need we need advocacy because if we know that the decision making is made predominantly um, by particular groups in our communities then if those groups don't engage in the conversation then nothing well some things will change but it's not going to change at the speed that we need it to
1: And even looking at, you know, great question, Kevin, you know, looking at the role, one of my first mentors was Chris Bowman, just an amazing educator. And it's looking at everyone's uh, really responsibility to mentor and sponsor the talent that you see within your community, within your staff. And to me, that would be something that any individual can do within your sphere of influence um, to really make that impact. And right now, it's really looking at getting the allies for the women and to be a champion for them Um, and be that consistent champion, regardless of the setting, uh, to be moving and promoting and building a community that really cultivates alliances and collaboration with diverse perspectives. And I would say that would be one of the first steps forward.
0: So if we take one of the items that was just mentioned, which is that of recruitment, um, as you look, it's a bit of a high-level question at the moment because I realize not all firms are the same. But when you look at recruitment as an industry uh, relative to uh, advocating for and and promoting women into leadership search pools, et cetera, what do you see as the most acute needs or where are the primary pressure points in those current constructs of quote unquote, how we do recruitment?
2: Oh, goodness, where to start? Uh, There are are many parts to this. I mean, from the language that is used in job adverts, and I think it's um, one of the universities via The Guardian, you can put in your text and it will pick out gendered language. I mean, I have an issue with the idea of gendered language, but anyway, apparently there is such a thing. Um, And that's a really helpful way to see if there there are biases in the way that you're promoting your school. Um, So even even simple things like looking at your um, recruitment pack, other things that I think are really, again, simple things you can do that make a difference is uh, the gender pay gap. We haven't even got onto that yet. But in international education, that ranges from between 17 and 21% according to the CIS data of uh, school principals of what a female school principal like for like in numbers of years of service and administration and as a teacher and they will get paid like I said between 17 and 21 percent less so one of the things you can do as a school as an, or an organization is take off when you, when you are um, doing your um, uh, application forms they're asking people to fill them in. Take off previous salary. We know that one of the major reasons that we get this cumulative effect by the time you get to headship or principalship is that at every stage of progression, you take um, slightly less than your male colleague would in like-for-like terms. And so the cumulative effect over time is that by the time you become a head or a principal, you're paid anywhere up to, well, 21% less in the international sector. So take off the previous pay and pay people what the job's worth. And that's something we've done in our school. It's one of the first things I did. I don't need to know what they were paid before. Um, I need to know what they can do. And I need to know, um, and I know what the value of that is to the organization. So that's a very simple thing uh, that you can do. Nancy, do, do you have any other thoughts on kind of well, practical it was, ways?
1: The practice is so simplistic, which you're going to laugh only because I've changed from now I'm uh, looking at communications and marketing. It's also, you're going to think this is so silly, the photography. And who's pictured within the announcements. I know that sounds really... So uh, a friend of mine, we were looking at six different schools and the announcement they had for a headship. And we were looking at who who was in those layouts and the branding of the school. And even the layout page on the website of where that advertisement was placed. And I know that sounds very simplistic, but we found consistency, the idea that... I. I wish I had my data with me in terms of the number of times we saw male representation on the advertisement for leadership positions when it came to the school website. And you would think that would be, and I only noticed it now because I've changed positions into communications and marketing. And I was like, Oh my goodness, I didn't even think of this, but how you promote that position.
2: And the other thing I, I've noticed, and it's, it's anecdotal, but I think interesting, I was involved um, in my previous role for CEO uh, interview process, appointment process, and COO and CFO over the period of two years, two or three years. And what I noticed is every time uh, we interviewed, we generally had less women than men, but there were women that were coming in for those interview rounds. But when I came to my bit, which was I would have um, a session with them, we would always interview them all together. So we'd have them all in a group and we'd be talking with them. And what I found is when I was giving the evidence back as to, you know, what, how did I experience that person? What was I able to, to garner is I found that I had very little information from the women. And the reason why is because I didn't hear them speak. <laughs> and so even that, that really made me think about the process was, was the process that we were following by having group interviews, did that enable us to find out what we needed to know about those people and their capability for the role that we were looking for? So I think thinking carefully about how you design your appointment process as your long listing and short listing, and whether you're doing everything you can as an organization to hear and really assess the capability of the potential in front of you so I mean again these are really little things but we have to be intentional if we are really going to uh, make a change because if we do what we've always done we're always going to get what we've always got aren't we so uh, I think there is definitely um, thinking right from that those initial first of all from board level and how you're thinking about leadership into designing your um, advertisements, where you advertise, how you advertise? What do you say? Do you say that you encourage? I mean, I, I say on my um, applications from my school, I actually write on the advert that we are a, a family-friendly employer. And, uh, you know, are you explicit about the, the, the who you are as an organization and how you walk the walk in terms of your mission and vision as an international school? Um, and I, I think that's that's the first step right the way through to when somebody pre- presents in front of you. Well,
0: I really I really like this notion of, of pointing out that there are items that are seemingly small, mm-hmm. uh, but really yeah. the cumulative effect of these seemingly small things is that it turns into um, something far larger that is obviously unhelpful. So I, I think that's important. One seemingly small thing is really not just a, a, a single item, and nor is it seemingly small. It it is connected uh, to something far greater. So that's a that's a great takeaway. It, we've we've heard the word board uh, throughout this conversation mm-hmm. so far, and I know I don't. I'll pose something here, but I don't know if this is more in the genre of future projects and initiatives, or if there's any research on this uh, at at present. Which is Let's call it research. Is there any research, or are there any particular documented insights around women on boards of schools, and and specifically in the role of board chair? I'd be very curious to know that.
2: And interestingly, uh, Kevin, I, I on the CIS send their their data collection format each year, and they ask um, around the um, uh, gender. Um, ethnic and age of the principles and um, several different roles but in the board section they don't ask for any of that information um, I've sent it over to CIS and asked them to add it in to the next survey so at least we can start to get a, um, an idea of the makeup of boards and I think that's a really interesting point as well is where are you most likely um, to get n- not just about gender but diversity um, in terms of ethnic diversity and representation in the board, you know, do, does the board reflect the school community that you serve? Yeah. Uh, and I would say, probably in most international schools, it probably doesn't. It doesn't.
1: No, I agree. It doesn't. Not a clear reflection of the community. If you say you're multinational, and then when you look at your board, and is it a mirror reflection of your student and staff population? I agree with Liz. Usually, in most cases, not. But this is all anecdotal. We don't. I think Liz's point that she did bring it up to CIS, and now the, what's positive is. looking at CIS, you're looking at other organizations, they are really trying to start collating this type of data. Um, They're open, they're looking at people giving this type of feedback and starting to realize this. this is an area that we need to put more attention to. And I give credit to CIS for doing that.
0: Well, I, I think it's especially important, and I think here's a great growth opportunity for the sector, international education sector, is As we gather this data and and begin to analyze it and see what the story is that it's telling, what does that then mean? Not not just for cultivation of future board members and, and board development or board training around the current board, but let's look at it through the lens of board development and training going forward. All of the consultants in the space who are doing board development work how might they begin to draw on this and incorporate this into what is classically called board training? And I'll have one more little quip here, and then I'd love to hear what you have to say about that. And that is, I think part of the issue, which is unhelpful at the moment, is that these board trainings are not designed at all around what we know to be effective adult learning. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a one and done shopping experience you know they bring in a consultant for the day quite frankly it's not even usually the consultant doesn't usually get the whole day it's not eight hours it could be oh we have to truncate this to 90 minutes because we have to do something else or you can have the morning but one and done and then there's no more work on this for the rest of the year I, I just think that's highly ineffective by choice by design so one has to begin as you might have said this before but the notion of design you were talking about designing job adverts I think the same is true here there's a lot of good design work to be done I'll be quiet I'll let you share ideas
1: <laughs> No you look at what we're talking about in sustainability with professional learning when we look at our staff that we no longer as you mentioned don't want the drop in drop out I love the work of looking at Knowles with adult learning how are we sustaining that type of dialogue with the board now lots of times they you know there are volunteers they don't have the capacity Their, you know, their time is very limited, but in order to make an impact on their role, which is directly, directly influencing strategic ambitions of a school, that type of shift for me personally, and I see it in schools that I, I've worked with, it is monumental. You have a retreat. And I love the idea of people saying retreat. I'm like, why is it a retreat? Are we moving backwards? can't we have another word than retreat? Like we should be moving forward. We need another word when people say we're having a board retreat. Maybe it means, oh, you're hiding behind the trees. We need a word that says, okay, we're moving forward in terms of who and what they are and the impact they have in the school. But how do you get rhythm to their own learning? And right now I see that as one of the greatest weaknesses with boards in terms of their training. And we've gone so far with staffs. You know, you look at in terms of how, Um, we're trying to elevate the expertise of staff within schools. We're trying to ensure that it is something that has that type of consistency. And we've moved away from drop in, drop out with our staff. Now we need to shift it to board education as well.
0: Yeah, that that works really well. Um, Liz, I think we might have gotten you stuck on mute accidentally. Are you able to unmute yourself by clicking on the microphone icon?
2: Did I meet myself? That's extraordinary. That's what happened. No, no,
0: no. It wasn't you. It was me. I was hovering yes. <laughs> over it, and suddenly it, it hit, and I thought, "Oh no!" And I couldn't undo it.
2: I, I was in kind of ponderingness. If <laughs>
0: it's, a, it's a live tech <laughs> moment. Sorry about that.
2: Oh, that's fine. Um, I, I was just thinking about the, the the whole thing around boards. Is is you know they're time poor they're people predominantly who give their time freely they often have multiple roles in the community um, and really what they do mostly is what they have to do so they're always right, kind of driven by compliance and that's where i think the influence of the accreditation bodies obviously there are many of them um, in education that that's where they can really affect a change by making it important enough that it, it comes into the accreditation cycles or reevaluation cycles, and so I would like to see again. I, I want to see greater accountability, greater challenge, Kevin, in terms of the you know how are you preparing your board to be effective board members, uh, and how are you evidencing that? You know, is that doing a two-hour online workshop where you put your headphones on and you've got. You know all of your other work right next to you on your on another screen. Um, you know is, is that evidence enough, or do we want something that's more sustained? You know, do we expect the um, board to have a, ra- a rationale about the way that it's made up and what the requirements are for the different board members? Are we really explicit? um in that and i think there is and nancy mentioned earlier you know huge strides ahead in trying to find ways to influence change but i think that's the bottom line really is if you re- if you want both to do something you've got to make them do it yeah it's intentional it has to be intentional
0: yeah yeah great intention i'm hearing in- great intentionality i'm hearing design i'm hearing action orientation uh for a lot of these items which um Makes me want to shift to the next point, which sort of draws together some of what we've been talking about. And that is, to date, what do you see as the future projects or initiatives that are sort of begging for for attention? I mean, it certainly sounds as if governance may be one. What 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 else is on your radar?
2: Hmm. Well, I think one of the big areas, and Nancy's been really involved in this and can talk uh, more to this uh, in a moment, is the mentorship and connection. So, again, we're we're looking at what can we do at a kind of uh, um, significant level in terms of boards, but what can we do at an individual level? And I think peer mentoring and supporting the structures for that is really crucial and that can make a difference right now, today. Um, Nancy, you've been involved in some of the work with ECIS, yes. and the mentorship um, platform. And how, how have you found that? Because it's kind of been going for a little while now. How long? Now,
1: it was launched in the April conference, mm-hmm. and now you, it, it's what I love is now people are now seeing the benefits of it. And what the next step is to elevate these success stories of just the connections that have been made. Um, right now, the mentorship platform is available, for example, for any person who has participated in the Middle Leader Certificate course. And again, it's another opportunity to make those connections uh, in terms of that mentorship and just getting those connections. And I, I really uh, you know, I give kudos to ECIS for having that mentorship program, which is now, it's a, it's, it's a free platform for every school who is a member of ECIS. And also they offer that, I, Liz, am I right, to Women Ed as well. Anybody in Women Ed can also join the platform.
2: Yes, I, I, I think it's com- completely open, as I, yes, I understood yes. it. Um, and it, for the purpose of trying to connect you, so if you're um, if you are looking to mentor other people and you're willing to give some time, that's brilliant. You can sign up. Equally, if you're looking for a mentor, and I've had loads of mentors in my own career. When I think about the people. That have really supported me, you know, people who know more than I know about something, and I actively seek those people out because yeah. I learn so much from them. And I, I would encourage the whole community to do that. This not is not gender specific, and really find people around you. And I think even more so during this COVID time. You know, we mm-hmm. were just talking earlier about, you know, we, we haven't seen each other for such a long. Well, actually, seen each other like proper human in front of you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so. I think we've become a little bit disconnected um, from what we would ordinarily have in the types of roles that we're in. So finding ways to engineer that is important and it can be through um, the mentorship program with ECIS. It can be as simple as looking around for people around you who are doing interesting things and they might even be in a completely different field to what you're doing, um, but connect with them, find out you know, why what they're doing is so successful. You know, what have they learned along uh, the way in their own journey and bounce ideas off them. So I think peer mentorship is so underrated and yet so important.
1: And you know, that relationship is encouraging women to just go for it. You know, I, I think Liz, you spoke about this. I can't remember if it was ECIS or when you were in Luxembourg about women tend to have more self-doubt when it comes to even looking at a job profile while men tend to do the opposite. They yeah. have- the, I, did you remember? Yeah. I think it was in Luxembourg. So it's from
2: McKinsey. It's McKinsey Research. Yes. Uh, and It's often yes. quoted. But interestingly, I've, I've delved a bit deeper with that. And there's a lot of this imposter syndrome um, yes. uh, area that we talk about. Interestingly, um, I, w- I was talking with somebody else that's doing research in this field and men, um, uh, su- I don't know if suffer is the right word, but have imposter syndrome at the same rate or it was thought to be the same rate as uh, women but they talk about it significantly less uh-huh. I think that's interesting yeah it is interesting.
1: but I remember you brought that up and I would say that's another area that mentorship can help and support women in developing that confidence and stop that self-doubt um, in terms of having someone to be that mirror And just to reflect with or whatever role that mentorship is going to take on. But right now, and that's also one of our initiatives for this year is to support that mentorship in terms of our networking series, um, in terms of just getting. I know, for example, um, Kim Cofino, she's doing another uh, session for our networking series, and it's about women in STEM you know, and getting them together and talking about whatever challenges and successes they're having. And that is how we want to continue with this special interest group in terms of getting these cohorts of women together, elevating their expertise, and also providing an opportunity to connect and perhaps even find a mentor within that collaboration. The, um,
0: th- this is reminding me of, the, the next question we're going to tackle which I'll I'll plant that seed now but I want to come back to another opportunity uh, so in a moment we're going to be talking about measures of success so what is what does success look like for the the special interest group women in education but we've we've mentioned the following a couple of times and I thought it would be sort of the right audience to, to share that with, and we keep talking about women ed, women ed, hashtag women ed. Could we, for audience members who do not know what that is, um, would you mind helping to explain what women ed is, please?
1: Liz, you gotta take this one. This, this is this, yours. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. <laughs> I was gonna say, this has changed how, I, I can't tell you, all I can say is, ever since I joined women ed, and I know this sounds almost dramatic, my life has changed in terms of connections and people. I never thought just going to a meeting at St. George's School and I met Vivian, it has, I'm speechless right now and I'm not speechless often. So I'm gonna have Liz take over in terms of the Women Ed, um, just the organization, it's very powerful.
2: Oh, thank you, Nancy. That made me all emotional in a September. <laughs> <laughs> it's September, isn't it? Anyway, w- WomenEd. So WomenEd was founded, gosh, uh, maybe seven years ago now. And it originally was founded in the UK when um, some data had come out that showed the gender pay gap in the UK in domestic schools, in state schools. And a group of women on Twitter were talking about the data and they, they kind of said they had this moment of, you know, we need to do something here. We can sit sit around kind of bemoaning the data or we can actually try and do something about it. So they all met up and it was six of them originally that met um, and they formed a group, Women Ed, uh, predominantly on Twitter And then they said, well, why don't don't we create an event? They didn't know know whether anyone would turn up. They did it at a school. And it's grown from there to being a huge global movement. Uh, We now have uh, over 40,000 people in the network. Um, We have over 31 country networks. Um, So that includes the States, um, Australia, Canada, Middle East and North Africa, uh, uh, not, not Thailand. Yes. Yes, we just got Taiwan yep. just um, launched yesterday. I, won, yep. I think it was. Yes. I was tweeting about that I yesterday.
1: Yep.
2: Yeah, and it's just uh, really the, the 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 driver behind Women Ed is about is about trying to get more women into into education leadership. It's about redressing the gender pay gap. It's about um, trying to redress the gap in women in the profession to those that go into leadership. It's also looking at diversity and representation to make sure that leadership and education um, does those things, that it represents the communities that it serves. And we, like I said, we it's completely voluntary. Um, nobody gets paid for anything. Um, everyone gives their time freely. And you can connect yourselves if you're interested. Just go on Twitter, go at WomenEd. There's also the Facebook group, LinkedIn group. It's low. But start with Twitter. If, if you're kind of a newbie, I say follow at Women Ed. Uh-huh. And then if you look for the country that you're in, um, so it would be uh, at Women Ed. And then it might be Belgium and Luxembourg. Just for you, you're the exception. You're the only country that has joined forces one other country because you didn't want to be by yourselves so it's yeah. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Luxembourg, which is awesome um, but everyone else you've got Germany UK obviously um, Spain a, a Switzerland where I am um, all over the world and if you're in an area that doesn't have or a country that doesn't have a network yet um, send me a message if you're up for a starting one I can mm-hmm. help you do that we're um, really about this is part of the mission to try and connect people it's, it's such a simple idea um, and yet it. It's had you know global significance, absolutely. as well as in particular countries. It's influencing national policy. It's um, uh, supporting ministries of education and governments, doing all kinds of amazing things. So um, connect with us, absolutely. And you know what's great?
1: Women in education and women Ed. They're both advocating for that sustainable. Um, systematic change and we work in, you know, in harmony together, you know, like our um, Twitter account is always supporting the upcoming women ed second global Unconference. And it's just an amazing network. So all of us are working for the same objective. Um, the women ed definitely, like I mentioned, um, uh, I met Liz originally at the conference in Lisbon when we were on the panel, when Kevin, you were kind enough to invite us to that women, um, and leadership panel. And then Liz was in Luxembourg speaking for one of our first women uh, Benelux. And I can't tell you the support you get. I mean, I can't explain it. You could do any event and suddenly you feel like you have a, a group behind you just pushing you forward. And that's the same momentum we're hoping that we get with women in education, this special interest group. We all have the same objective. It's that support. It's that advocacy. Um, it's quite... It it's, I can't explain it. It's monumental. Like I know I'm sounding like, oh my God, she's off the trail, but, um, it really was the best thing. I mean, I met Vivian and I was like, oh my God, I feel like I've known you forever. You know, it's, it's an amazing, amazing, um, network, um, that exists. And what we're really privileged is both women ed and women in education. We're working in harmony. We're supporting, looking at women in mentorship, networking we're doing it together so it's been a real it's been a real privilege actually the two just getting together
0: fantastic really meaningful camaraderie um, that's so so potent in and of itself Uh, well as promised I do want to come back to this notion of measures of success so um, you've done an excellent job touching on these um, sort of goals for the current year and so forth so how do you what are you thinking of in terms of measures of success and how will you, how will you firmly know how, how you're doing against the, what you'd like to achieve? What are the goalposts? What are the milestones?
1: Hmm, Good question. I look at it in terms of quantitative and qualitative. Um, You know, nothing means more than when you do an event and someone writes to you saying that um, I was able to connect with someone and I'm meeting with them. And they become a mentor, so that to me is a success story itself, and that to me means more. Um, in terms of the data, we just started our Twitter account, and we're starting to see that people are following, they're engaging, so I see that as a sign of success. Um, so for now, it's still pretty raw, but I, I those are the two I would say areas when looking at the messages that you hear about a connection, and then obviously seeing how much more we can get our uh, Twitter account, our social media reaching more and more women to see that we are providing these networking opportunities, like I said, with Kim and Liz coming up and those other events that we hope to plan in the upcoming
2: months. And and Nancy, I think I'd um, uh, add to that. So we're looking at reach and connection because that's what people asked for when we, uh, back to that original kind of ask. But if we're going to talk kind of about starting with the end in mind, you know, about a good old Covey, uh, for me, it would be it's really as simple as we have enough teachers. For our schools <laughs> you know and that that means that we're realizing the potential of men and women uh, that we have equitable uh, leadership representation and so I think in the SIG group is once it's established its network to start off with which is that reach and connection yes. it's then about so now what and that would be formulated with the community itself uh, I think that's really the point of the special interest group is that we we're kind of um, facilitators in in that we're um, finding ways to bring this together, but ultimately it will be owned by the community itself. Absolutely.
1: Well said, Liz. That was so articulate. I love the way you said that. Oh, that's pretty that extraordinary. Is, so I'm feeling that was a private situation I, I,
2: I, at home. So uh,
1: summarized that really well. I love that. What do you think, Kev? That was good.
0: Well, you know, this is an audio only podcast, but had, had we had, had we had video, we would be capturing the the nonverbal communication from each of us and you would have seen me sitting here chuckling quietly to myself.
2: Well, if this was another balloon, Nancy, I, I would have just a balloon. Say, I do something good.
1: Do the balloon. We have a celebration balloon that we use. So I would have had a balloon
2: right now. And it is actually a balloon, everyone. It's not some kind of metaphor. Nancy no, actually has a balloon. Literally,
1: I have balloons. I blow them up. Like nothing so any, less. Anytime we get together and there's a celebration, I get the balloon and I go, yay, we have our balloon. It's a celebration. You have to celebrate successes. I don't think, at times we don't do that enough. We're too serious. Just to just Fair enjoy enough. each other's company. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, that's, that's wonderful. Well, you know, it's, I mean, this has been a, a really fun podcast to do because it's, it's, a consequential topic and um there's a great sense of levity here amongst those of us on the podcast as well which is which is great it's one of the two things that i uh, one of many things sorry that i admire about the two of you and I'm, I'm personally privileged to have known you over these years and you know you're so good at finding and presenting the research elements of this that that um, either back up anecdotes or sometimes fly in the face of an anecdote and say, actually, here's what it looks like. And I think that's incredibly important, <clears throat> valuable as we go forward in this. And I've, I mean, I myself have have learned so much from both of you. And I'm wondering, uh, as we wind down the podcast now, if listeners would like to get in touch with you, if you only if you're comfortable sharing, and we can do this in a GDPR-friendly way too – um, should they go to your school's websites and try to find you there? Or what is really the best way for them to do that if if you're open to being contacted?
1: I think Liz said it really well, is first to go on Twitter. I mean, Women Ed on Twitter. We also have a Women Education on Twitter. And then just that would be one of the best ways to first look at what we do, both those organizations and how we hope to promote and keep that idea of building community is right on Twitter.
2: Liz, what do you think? Yeah, I completely agree. Um, we're, we're all very active there. Um, my, I can just, you know, I'm, I'm all over stuff. I, I don't really have any privacy. <laughs> <laughs> so, so my, yeah, I'm just all out there. Um, so uh, Liz Amfree, actually my middle name is Anne-Marie. So people think oh. I'm being funny with my uh, my handle. I'm really not. Um, so it's Liz Amfree that's on Twitter um, and also on LinkedIn. You can find both myself and Nancy and yeah. do connect with us. We love to know um, people's thoughts. We like to also extend our own networks and we love to learn from other people. So um, come and make friends. And then when the world reopens, we can have like a long list of places we can go and see. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yes, yes. let hear it, Nancy, you and me. We, we
1: Kevin, you can come too. Oh, <laughs> oh thank you. you. Oh, I'm, oh, I feel so honoured. And on, on Twitter, I am at Nancy and Lux1. The only reason I'm one is because somebody already had Nancy and Lux.
0: What are the on that? I
1: know. I couldn't believe it. I was like, how can someone else be? But I'm thinking maybe they're thinking of, of different – I was thinking of Luxembourg. Maybe they're thinking of something else. But I'm at Nancy and Lux, so please connect and uh, – There is so much, really, the resources between those two Twitter accounts, um, Women Ed and the Women Education. You can definitely find something that will support you and just, like I said, start building a community.
0: All right. Fabulous. Well, thank you both so much for being guests on the podcast. And to listeners out there, thank you so much for tuning in. And we'll see you next time on the Indistinct Chatter podcast. In the meantime, be safe and be well.